wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's really wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're taking as our theme uh, Beyond the Grave and today we're asking Are near-death experiences real? Uh, Today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher and David's the President of the Seventh-day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Welcome David. Good afternoon, Gary. Good afternoon, listeners. It is wonderful to have you uh, back with us again. Winter has arrived. It has. We had some warm weather last week, didn't we? And then all of a sudden, I think uh, Monday of this week in Adelaide, it was about 25 degrees. It came with a crunch, with a big blow and uh, a lot of rain uh, yesterday. In fact, yesterday, my uh, my church's car park actually got swamped uh, and uh, I discovered things about my church that I never knew, but I now know them and I'm not pleased that I actually do know <laughs> them because it means that I have to get some fix-it uh, work actually being done. And David, are you still riding uh, your bike? Okay, so you're a bike rider for exercise. How do you do it in winter? Yes, um, I need to get some more gear. In fact, my wife uh, for Mother's Day, you know, you, you buy your wife a toolbox for Mother's Day <laughs> and if she doesn't want to use it, you use it. No, but with Megan, I, I did buy her some riding gear. Um, but no, I have not ridden, I think, for I was away in Melbourne for a week, probably for two, at least two weeks, maybe three weeks. And uh, I knew rain was coming this week, so I was busily trying to get some paving done and, and been fighting a little bit of a cold as well. So I need to get back on the bike. Okay, okay. That means you're putting on a little bit of weight in winter. Yes, yes. Bad fella, bad fella. Uh, David, look, someone's actually asked me a a question. I'd love to actually put it to you. It's wonderful in your particular role for me to be able to have a whole hour uh, just between you and me and uh, one or two listeners um, out there. But, David, look, somebody asked me this. Um, Why are churches, because we're into church planting, why are churches planting churches when there are so many empty church buildings out there. Firstly, I think it's a biblical mandate, isn't it? I mean, you look at the book of Acts, uh, you go through the New Testament, they planted churches. Uh, Also, I think uh, demographics show us that often uh, people move so yeah. often the inner city locations, um, you know, 50, 60 years ago, they were thriving. We had a lot of people in those areas. And then as, as things change, families move out to the suburbs and out further. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that can be a factor, although there is a resurgence of inner city church planting in places, aren't there? So I think uh, it's biblical. Uh, demographics change, churches go through cycles uh, and and plateaus and sometimes decline when people move away. Uh, and we need to focus on, uh, Christians need to focus on reinvigorating uh, those churches. But I do believe there is something really powerful about groups of dedicated church members that have a heart and a passion for evangelism and they want to see something happening in the community mm. and they want to go plant a church. And what I really like about it, the energy that occurs, um, uh, it strips away some of the formality, some of the other things, and yeah. they get down to the basics of soul winning, connecting yeah. with the community, and um, you see things happen. And, and I guess just like a, a baby plant, it has to fight to survive, has to struggle. It's not fully established. Yeah. With a church plant, 
you can't be part of it unless you're really committed. Yeah. And yeah. so the people are fighting, not, not physically fighting, but, but are, are, are aggressive in their sacrifice for Christ and are committing everything to it because they want this baby to grow. They want this plant to it grow. It becomes their baby, isn't it? You know, it's not the baby of a previous generation. It's rather the, their baby. They are raising something up and they're often prepared to put a level of effort in that they're not prepared to put into, uh, a church which is uh, into a bit of a routine. That's right. And, and so I think uh, we need to continue to, to plant churches. We need to try and revitalize churches as well that may have plateaued. But it's biblical. Okay. okay. And it's wonderful seeing people's gifts released for ministry. Yeah, yeah. Tell me, David, is it possible to revitalize a church that maybe is run down? That big silence, a big silence there, David. You might have to edit that out. I mean, how long is a piece of string? I think it is always possible. The Holy Spirit can do anything, right? Yeah, and and yeah. when people are committed. So definitely it's possible. It certainly takes a lot of energy and commitment. Um, yeah. uh, sometimes it takes a group of committed individuals to come in yeah. to a church um, to 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 refocus it yeah uh, and so yeah definitely is possible but it does take a lot of energy and sometimes there are some people sometimes that don't want to see anything change in the church yeah yeah and that of course can be one of the real challenging factors in any church where you have got you know maybe a, a a church father or two who uh, particularly have done things in a certain way for a, for a long period of time. And yet, David, I, I suppose I'm really conscious that uh, certainly in my experience in ministry, I've, I can think of three or four churches uh, that have certainly been revitalized and who were once run down and ready to uh, almost close but are now up and bubbling and vibrant churches once uh, once again. And we praise God for that. And yeah. I think revitalization of churches is just as important as church planting. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. we shouldn't we shouldn't decide not to plant churches just because other uh, churches may have plateaued. Okay. I really do like your answer there. It is actually a biblical mandate mm. uh, to actually expand the gospel. And it's certainly very true. People do move uh, through the course of time where the demographics uh, and people have moved out into the suburbs. You actually have to move. And sometimes that means that you've actually got to close down uh, churches. And I think that that is the hard and difficult thing because uh, coming to the point where a church says, hey, look, you know, uh, yes, we have served the community here well for maybe 80 years, but the people have moved to other areas. It's time for us uh, to make some hard decisions. And look, I find that sad personally. You know, I sort of don't live too far from the centre of Adelaide and and around where we're living, um, within a five-minute walk, there's four or five churches. Now, um, some most of those are operating, but yeah. there are some that you drive past and they've been turned into houses. Houses. You go to some parts of or any every state, and you'll find some are cafes and restaurants and yeah. guest houses, and that disappoints me. Yeah, um, in yeah, a way. yeah. You know, what's happened? It's a, it, it's a it, there is always that. T- 
touch of sadness uh, when you see a church closing. And yet when I think of, for example, the seven churches in the book of Revelation, you know, they were once vibrant churches, but today none of them actually exist. At some point they all came to the point of saying, okay, we have to close our doors. And to me, this is the real challenge, you know, when as a church, uh, God, can it be revitalized? And I think just on that, Gary, the, the first church that's there in Revelation is the church of Ephesus. And they were told to remember their first love. Yeah. So in other words, they needed revival and reformation. And yeah. I believe that's at the heart of revitalizing a church. Yeah. yeah. No, that's so true. So I really appreciate what you're sharing there, David. Look, if we can come to uh, one thing that uh, our World Watch uh, segment, uh, just something that was brought to my attention that uh, was published in the Courier Mail uh, about four or five days ago. And this was talking about uh, the issue of uh, uh, pornography uh, and particularly primary school students. Uh, students, and this is uh, this is what the article said. Parents have shared their horror stories as more and more young children's behaviour is impacted by exposure to porn. Barely a day goes by that a parent doesn't contact me uh, to tell me of the devastation and trauma caused as a result of their child being exposed to porn. Uh, my six-year-old was shown porn by an older boy at school, said one mother. My daughter was on a kid's game site and a porn pop-up appeared. My child googled an innocent term, and it, took, and it took him straight to a porn site. My son was shown porn on the school bus on the way home. Another mother said, my seven-year-old saw porn at the school camp. And of course, this is often it comes in from older, older children even. Uh, some of these children now suffer insomnia, nightmares, anxiety, and in the worst cases, uh, they are medicated due to the level of disturbance caused by exposure to violent porn. It, uh, it surprises many parents to learn that there is nothing to prevent their child being exposed to porn. There's no barriers, such as proof of age requirements, to stop them entering rape, sadism, torture porn, or even uh, and incest sites. All before their first kiss. Now, David, look, this is something that, uh, to me, when I read this uh, article, and it was in the Courier Mail of uh, May 19 this year, 2021, uh, to me, as I read this, I thought this is something that is truly horrific. Now, I know it's something that's being brought to the level of government, but there is certainly some uh, holdback on enacting any legislation, but there's a there's a huge big issue in this. Uh, you know, I mean, what is it? How did we actually get to this point? You know, I mean, uh, David, you know, is this the natural outgrowth of the sexual revolution in the sixties and the seventies? You know, is it just the coming of the internet? You know, can it be can it be linked to the undermining of biblical morality? How did we get here? Yeah, so I wasn't around in the 60s. I know you were. but So you can probably talk to that, Gary. <laughs> I was born in the 70s. But, but clearly it's, it's a combination of multiple things, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, but ultimately it's a breakdown of biblical values and ethos and, and a breakdown of uh, disregarding God's law and God's plan for, for marriage and for sexuality. Yeah, yeah. No, look, that's... That I think is just so so important. I, I I'm just conscious of the the huge I suppose wave that's washing over society in this entire area. I mean, I know myself. I mean, I I can remember my first exposure to this thing of 
porn, you know, and it was actually at a, a, a Christian uh, high school. Um, but in those days, I was actually in year 10 and I was in the boys locker rooms. And I remember uh, one of our, uh, one of the, uh, one of the boys had, one of the lads had somehow been able to come and pick up, uh, the recent edition of Playboy. And he brought it into the boys locker rooms. And this is in the, this is about, 76 or somewhere uh, somewhere there when I'm late in my high school years this is my first exposure to this thing called pornography late in high school late in yeah. high school yeah. and it was a magazine called Playboy. Now, of course, uh, anybody who actually today uh, looks at the Playboys of the 1970s, they actually laugh because, hey, you know, is this really? Well, actually, it is porn, but uh, that question is actually asked. Uh, And yet today, stuff that is so much more graphic than was ever imagined back in in my day uh, is being shown to primary school students and uh, the parents are really starting to struggle with this. You know, how do we deal with this? Well, some of the challenges, and I guess I'm not answering your direct question, how do we deal with it, but but the accessibility, the internet has changed everything, hasn't it? Yeah. And just as you said, I mean, if someone does a Google search, an innocent Google search, and it pops up. You know, I've heard stories about the mobile phone um, uh, phones being sold to people in the Pacific or in Africa, and they're all, some of them are preloaded with uh, various sites uh, and 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 pornography on them um so how do we how do we push back against this i think some really open and honest conversations with our young people our children yeah. uh even girls are being exposed to this i was speaking with a mother who who's got girls in 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 her twen- in their 20s yeah. and they were exposed to this um being over at a friend's place uh, mm. like a not a sleepover, but a play date mm. when they were young. And it horrified the mother. So I think it's having honest conversations. I think it's having uh, boundaries around access to the internet, particularly at home. Yeah. Yeah. It's very hard to guard against what may happen at school. Uh, but I guess also having the ability to talk to your children because you don't want this to be insidious and go underground. Uh, trying to have open dialogue with your children yeah. and. If they have experienced something, working with them on it and, and yeah, building those relationships so they feel that they can talk to you, even if they've done the wrong thing. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's also important, David, to, um, to really know particularly where your children are actually going on the internet because I know at one particular time I was actually asked to do a, um, to do some, some talks on, uh, uh, on this issue actually of video gaming, uh, with, uh, university students. And I thought, oh, this will be an interesting one. Mm. And, uh, I had, uh, uh, some time and I went and, uh, did my preparation and I actually went into the uh, the rating sites of some of the really popular games and this was a, a couple of a couple of years ago uh, now and I just read the reviews oh, I didn't go and play the games or anything just just the reviews there but the reviews told me what would actually go on at the upper levels now at the upper levels a lot of them were rape uh, um, um, uh, pretend pretend rape if such a, if such a thing it, it exists, can yeah. uh, uh, can be 
But um, we had a very interesting discussion. One of the things that really stood out to me was that every single young man there and most of the girls had actually played those games and they knew exactly what I was talking about. The thing that really, I suppose, blew my mind was the next day we were actually at church and one of the parents uh, who had a university student had heard what I I had spoken about because the son had gone home and mm. told them and uh, he uh, he came to me and said look um would you come and talk to our uh, children's bible study group about that on uh, on this morning and i thought well i'm not sure i really i mean want to uh but he convinced me uh so i went to talk I shared with them essentially the same information. Then I said this to them. I said, hey, how many of you have actually played these games? To a man, every one of them had played the games and they all knew that at the upper levels you'd be able to play rape. Now, you know, to me, when I realised that, I sort of thought, hey, the parents didn't realise this, but the Young people did realise this. And we wonder why uh, domestic violence is such a huge thing in our country, don't we? We we wonder. You know, we're hearing a great deal at the present time about respecting women, and that is actually so important, so important. Uh, that is a message that needs to go through. But, you know, is it possible uh, for young men and uh, young women to respect each other if, in fact, uh, this flood tide is overwhelming them? It's certainly an uphill battle, I think, for, for young people these days with everything they're exposed to. There's more responsibility needing to be uh, placed on parents with accountability about what's happening, open dialogue. And I think it's back to the biblical model as well. Whatever you get involved with, one day, God willing, um, our, our children and people's children, they'll be in relationships. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to go into a lasting relationship like marriage with lots of skeletons or baggage in the closet because it will cause pain yeah. and damage. And and I guess that's why God gives us the commandments, doesn't he? That's why he says thou shalt not commit adultery. That's why Jesus in Matthew 5 talks about when you look at a woman lustfully and you, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Yeah. And I guess that whole thing, um, uh, that's pornography, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You look yeah. at something and you've committed adultery in your heart. So... Um, it's actually a challenge not just for, you know, protecting primary age students, but it's actually a real challenge for adults as well. You know, I, I'm just so conscious that it it's is uh, so easy to say, oh, look, this is a problem for the primary school students, but it can actually become a major problem for uh, for adults as well. It's, it's in many ways, it's no different to gambling or alcoholism, etc. It's addictive. Yeah. Uh, other than the fact that I, well, all of these things, any 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 addiction can be bad, but any addiction that goes underground is is really bad because yeah. it causes yeah. shame. And then, where do you turn to? Yeah, yeah. David, thank you so much for that. Look, let's come to a song. This is Frontier, and this is uh, called Resurrection Song. Please enjoy.
that is Resurrection Song. That's by the group Frontier. A beautiful song, matches the theme that we're talking about this week. We've got a free gift for you today. Uh, Our free gift is entitled When Death Isn't Fair, uh, Coping with Overwhelming Grief. Now, uh, Joy Swift uh, wrote uh, this particular book. Four of her five children were murdered in a single night. Then her oldest child, Stephanie, uh, died of cancer. The World Trade Center catastrophe only reawakened her enormous sorrow. Those who lose loved ones, those who comfort them, need a guide through the storm. Joy Swift has plumbed the depths of grief and gone the distance. By revealing more of her incredible story, she charts the path to healing for broken hearts. The book is entitled, When Death isn't fair. Now, this is a real little beauty. Uh, now, if you'd like a copy of uh, the book, uh, When Death Isn't Fair, please text us the name of that book so that we know which offer you're referring to, When Death Isn't Fair, with your name, your address, your telephone number, and just uh, text us here at our studio, and uh, that number is 488 Double eight o eight eleven. That number again is o four double eight double eight o eight eleven. And the book is entitled "When Death Isn't Fair." You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time Big Q and A with uh, Pastor Gary, and today our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh Day Adventist Church here in South Oz. Uh, this week we're taking as our theme "Beyond the Grave," and we're asking: Are near-death experiences? Real? David, this is probably one of those uh, subjects that everybody has actually got uh, some sort of opinion on. Or a story. Uh, or a yeah. story. There, there are uh, so many stories floating around out there. You know, just one or two that I, uh, I did actually pick up. It was as if it had stopped. It was as if I had stepped through my eyelids, said one person. I sat up and was in awe at how clear everything appeared. I had worn glasses or contacts my entire life, so I was amazed at the sharpness of the room around me and the vividness of the colours. I could perceive energy surrounding everything. And there was somebody else. It felt as though, as if I was falling in a very deep, slumbering, swaying, invisible energy, so peaceful, so reassuring, deep down a very restful place. Suddenly I heard a loud voice in my inner consciousness. You know, these stories, David, they just go on and on and on. There are so many of of these particular stories that people tell. You know, uh, near-death experiences, what's your feeling on them? It's really hard to challenge someone if they say, this is what I experienced, isn't it? Because you're going against their experience even though it may not match biblical reality. And we're uh, continually living in a society these days which runs off experience rather than thus says the Word of God. There is a tension there, isn't there? There is. Uh, Nevertheless, many Christians find in these near-death experiences uh, support for what they would call the traditional view or what they would call the truth of the immortality of the soul. Okay. You know, when I had this near-death experience, they would say, and I went up, my spirit went up to heaven, my soul went up, and I went into paradise. Now, I don't believe that, and we're not really talking about the immortality of the soul or anything here. That's been covered uh, already this week. But I don't believe that near-death experiences um, 
provide clarity on a number of things. In fact, they contradict each other often. Okay. Uh, let me explain. Um, we wouldn't expect that every near-death experience would be identical. We'd expect there'd be differences, but you yeah. wouldn't expect them to contradict each other. So, uh, for example, a, a Christian near-death experience is often at odds with a near-death experience from a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Muslim. Okay. So, so these other religions as well have these near-death experiences recorded. That's true. And so when they have them, their near-death experience is uh, consistent with their beliefs. Okay. But we do know, don't we, that uh, the Christian beliefs, uh, Islam beliefs, Buddhist and, and uh, Hindu beliefs don't all marry up. They contradict each other. They are actually incredibly contradictory. Absolutely. So um, what do you do when these beliefs actually contradict each other? So... How does a Christian respond to um, a Hindu who has a near-death experience, for example, uh, where he talks with Hindu gods, gods, plural, plural, which the Bible declares as false gods. We only serve one God. Uh, one Hindu claimed in a near-death experience that they went to heaven on the back of a cow. Others reported seeing Krishna in heaven. Wow. So how does that marry up how do you how do you pull all that together um the bible is clear that jesus is the only way to heaven mm-hmm. he's the way the truth and the life and um yeah a story of one man who had a near death experience he went to heaven in this experience and even though he was not a follower of jesus he went there and while he was there he rode on the wing of a butterfly and he spoke to spirits on his way back to earth, uh, coming out of this near-death experience, he was told by the Spirit he could do no wrong. Wow. Now, that was his experience. But when we go to the Scriptures, we read that the Bible says all have sinned. Okay. So how can you be told in a near-death experience, if it's from God, that you can do no wrong? Wow. This, this is starting to say to me, David, it's so important that we actually trust the Word of God, isn't it? It really is. And others have been told that there, um, you know, there's been a mistake. It wasn't their time to die yet. That's why they're going back to earth. Um, now, does God make mistakes? No. Uh, and perhaps one of the scariest things with these near death experience is that, um, they contradict scripture and the near death experience in the new age movement basically puts everything back on experience and the truth is relative. Yeah. In other words, because I experienced it, it's truth. Okay. And, of course, that is one of the huge challenges that we're actually facing in the contemporary religious world because what we're actually getting is an incredible plethora of beliefs. It's There's a real mishmash of beliefs out there. It's no longer, you know, what is the Word of God actually saying? It's very much, hey, how do I feel and how can we blend many beliefs together? You know, there's this understanding of many paths, one heaven. It doesn't matter too much anymore. Uh, where I'm actually coming from because we're all going to go to the same place. And, of course, the problem with all of that is that... It's not biblical. It's not biblical. So when we wander from the Word of God and, and everything's subjective or it's based on what, how I feel or my own experience, we're in trouble. It's interesting. I think one of the, the, the other key points is this. Uh, in the New Testament, you end up with about five instances of uh, resurrection from the dead. Mm. And, and I guess my mind goes immediately to Lazarus. 
He was dead. Feed men in the tomb four days, hadn't he? And the sisters it was, actually it was the fourth day. And the sisters said, "Hey, look, we don't want him resurrected because he smells. He we don't want to open the tomb." And if there was such a thing as a near-death experience, uh, and uh, you had an immortal soul or spirit that could waft up to paradise, yeah, wouldn't it have happened? Wouldn't it have happened with Lazarus? You know, surely, um, why would God rob him? He's been dead. It's the fourth day. Why would God not allow him to have gone to paradise, seen something up there, come back and witnessed it? And imagine how powerful that would be for the, uh, the believers. It's almost cruel to say, that, you know, to, to Lazarus, look, you know, I mean, if in fact he's in paradise for, for, for Christ after four days to turn around and say, look, Lazarus, uh, come on back, back down here again. Come back to the, pardon the words, the hellhole of earth. Yeah. You've been in paradise, but come back to earth. Uh, you've got a live again yeah. uh, and forget what you've seen up there, you know, because yeah. you're not going to see it for yeah. quite some time. So, yeah, clearly if there was such a thing as near-death experiences, why didn't Lazarus, when he was resurrected, why didn't he say something about what he may have seen? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, no look, I, I think you've asked some excellent uh, questions there. Uh, I think, David, one of the things that I'm so conscious of as well, you know, the Scripture's actually got this incredible understanding that there are going to be incredible deceptions uh, that are going to be happening within the uh, the Christian world. Now, I know that, you know, I, I don't want to pontificate and say, hey, look, you know, I mean, you know, everything that these people saw they didn't really see. I just do know that, you know, drugs can do incredible things to people, but I also know that there's a spiritual force out there uh, that is able to, uh, to replicate uh, and make people perceive things that are, in fact, not there. Absolutely. I remember um, a particular gentleman that I was ministering to early in my first couple of years of ministry, and, and he would visit his uh, mum in an aged care home, and I would visit him. He, he wasn't a, a dedicated Christian, but he would visit his mum, and I engaged with him and, and visited him and his wife, and we studied the Bible, and his wife was a diabetic, and she was had gone blind and uh, was on dialysis, and uh, eventually she died. And I'd shifted um, regions. I'd left the church and had been sent to another church. And one day, about a year later, I had this phone call. And the other end, there was this lag. There was this pause. And then all of a sudden, this sobbing. And instantly, I knew that who the person was I, by the voice. And mm. I, I said, hey, is everything okay? What's happened? And again, there was a pause. And, and then he shared that his wife had passed away. And wow. um, and then I'm thinking, wow, this must have just happened. And he said, no, it happened a- about a year ago. And I began thinking, you know, his wife was sick anyway. Yeah. This is a year ago. What's happened? And he, he began to explain to me. He said, well, it's, it's really interesting. You know, he said um, last week or something was the anniversary of her death. And he said at about 11 o'clock at night, he said, or a particular time of night, he said, I was in bed and I heard this voice. And um, he said it was her voice. And he said to me that she she spoke things that only her and I knew. Wow. And he said it really threw me because I'd talked to him about what happens in death and all that sort of stuff. The dead know nothing. And I listened to him and then he shared with me. He said, it's interesting. I then went to stay with my daughter in Melbourne. And uh, he said, uh, she raised it. She said, you know what, Dad? She said, such and such a date, such and such a time. She said, I heard this voice and it was mum. And he said it was the same night at the same time. Wow. And I listened to him and he was emotional and I, and I had to, I, I took him through scripture gently yeah. and shared with him that 
that evil angels can impersonate and uh, whether it's in op- operations and people having operations and and um, you know I guess the drugs uh, may impact what people uh, recall or what they've seen uh, we live in a world where we're fighting not against flesh and blood the Bible says but against principalities and powers as evil mm, spirits as you've very said true. so there are a whole range of reasons yeah you know David one of the things that really jumps out at me is that you know as I look at Deuteronomy actually says something really remarkable about this whole entire area because um, God is speaking to the ancient Israelites about customs that were in the land of Canaan. This is this is what he says. Uh, when you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found amongst you anyone who makes his son or daughter pass through the fire. Now just so that listeners are aware about that, one of their practices was a sacrifice of their boys and girls um, to uh, the god Baal, and uh, that's what's being referred to uh, there. But in the same category as that, he says this, or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. Mm. You know, to me, I think this is incredibly significant. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations, the Lord your God drives them out from amongst you. Now, you know, what's actually going on here? Well, of course, within the Scriptures, we have an understanding that there is this thing called deception taking taking place. And, you know, David, I, I'm so amazed. You know, Matthew chapter 24, we get Christ bringing up this issue of deception three or four times. And he says, hey, guys, there are other spiritual forces out there that are out to actually deceive you uh, in what you believe and even impacting your emotions. And I wonder why in Matthew 24 Jesus raises that three or four times he does about being deceived, yeah, yeah. false Christ and false prophets. And I believe he, God, Jesus knows everything. He's God. And so he can look into the distant future from when he said this 2,000 years ago. He knows that people aren't going to stick by the word of God. They'll go by experience. When we go by our own experience, we can be deceived by evil angels, by whatever. Yeah. And uh, we're on dangerous ground. Yeah, yeah. I think that's really important what you've actually said there, David, that issue of trusting to my eyes and my ears rather than uh, to the Word of God. Because, you know, we're living in a day and age where, you know, the media is certainly able to uh, deceive us, and that's the physical media with which we're familiar. Uh, you know, we, you know, we see uh, Photoshop, you know, it just simply is able to present one thing when, in fact, it's not reality. Uh, what the script just talk about though is that there are actually forces outside of um, the human realm that are able to do exactly the same thing. So, Gary, with these near-death experiences, the challenge is if we accept them, then we have to accept them from all faiths. And if you know, if we accept a near-death experience as a Christian, then we can't discount a near-death experience of a Hindu or a Buddhist or or whatever. We've got to accept them all the way through. And if we do that, then we're dealing with incredible contradictions. Incredible contradictions. In fact, you know, you've met, at that point you've moved so far from the Word of God that you're standing on incredibly dangerous ground at, at that particular point. But David, look, let's move on from uh, uh, near-death uh, experiences. In fact, what we might do is look, let's come to some music uh, and then. 
uh, will will come back. And uh, I want us to look tonight at the hope of the resurrection. This is really, to me, the heart and core of everything that the scriptures uh, actually uh, actually teach. So, uh, look, let's come to Gavin Chatillier uh, as water to the thirsty. As beauty to the eyes As strength that follows weakness As truth instead of lies As sometime and springtime And summertime to be So is my Lord, my living Lord So is my Lord to me of clamor like peace that follows pain like meeting after parting like sunshine after rain like moonlight and starlight and sunlight on the sea so is my Lord my living Lord so is my Lord to me
And that is our good mate, Gavin Chatillier. If Gavin's listening to us today and he does listen to Faith FM, if you'd like, uh, uh, Gavin, we'd just love to say hello to you. Uh, as water to the thirsty, uh, thank you so much for that uh, rendition. Uh, greatly appreciated. Our free gift today uh, to uh, to you is the uh, book, When Death Isn't Fair, uh, Coping with Overwhelming Grief. Now, uh, one of her, uh, four of her five children were murdered in a single night. Then her oldest child, Stephanie, died of cancer. The World Trade Center catastrophe only reawakened enormous sorrow. As a result, she, Joy Swift, wrote uh, this particular book. She entitled it When Death Isn't Fair. Uh, this is a book that I believe uh, will greatly touch your heart. If you'd like a copy of this uh, of this book, your uh, When Death Isn't Fair, please just text your, your name, your address, uh, your phone number uh, to Drive Time Request to our uh, text number here, and that number is 0488-880-811. That number again is 488 Double eight O eight eleven, and I believe you'll greatly appreciate uh, this particular book. Also, if you've got any any questions uh, that you'd like to ask about this entire subject, please feel free to text those in. We're more than happy if we don't get to them today to come to them uh, tomorrow. Uh, you're welcome. Welcome back. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time. Uh, big Q and A with uh, Pastor Gary today. Our co-host is Pastor David Butcher, and David's the president of the Seventh Day Adventist Church here in South Oz. And this week we're taking as our theme, Beyond the Grave. And today we're asking, uh, are near-death experiences real? David, really appreciated what you did actually share on those near-death experiences. To me, it makes incredible sense. But look, tell us, what is the, does the Scripture give us some hope? On, I mean, we've been talking about the issue of death. Now, I mean, if in fact, in fact a person goes into the grave, if they sleep in the grave, I mean, that must be quite a, a depressing understanding. Absolutely. But for a Christian, it's not. You know, uh, Titus 2.13, the Apostle Paul talks about looking forward to the blessed or happy hope of the return of Jesus Christ. So the resurrection is linked, uh, inseparably linked to the second coming of Jesus Christ. But we can go back into the Old Testament, Gary. I just want to touch on very briefly here. The Probably the oldest book of the Bible, um, uh, the book of Job, the one that was first written, we believe, was the book of Job. And he, this wise man from the East, said this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and he shall stand at last on the earth, and after my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall see God. He was certain, he was confident, this I know. That's in the very first book of the Bible. Now, not Genesis, but Job was actually the first book we believe actually written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So he's saying, after my skin is destroyed, after I've died, I know that in my flesh a renewed body... I shall see God. That's amazing hope, isn't it? That's confidence, isn't it? Uh, it's also interesting to note another beautiful passage from the Old Testament. I love this passage. It's in the book of Hosea, mm-hmm. uh, the ancient prophet in the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 13, verse 14. This is what he says. This is the word of God through Hosea. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. And what I like in this one simple verse is the 
repetition of two words. I will, I will, I will, I will. We serve an active God. And so God is saying, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. The grave cannot hold someone that loves Jesus. I will ransom them. He then says, I will redeem them from death. I'll buy you back, he's saying. Thirdly, he says, oh, death, I will be your plague. I'll come after you, death. I'm going to chase you. Yeah, I love this. You know, there was a poem that I actually uh, learnt at uh, at high school. It was written by John Donne, a great English poet. Death be not proud. Death be not proud, though some have called thee mighty and dreadful, for you are not so. In fact, you know, at funerals, I've actually quoted uh, that that poem at uh, at funerals because to me it has such a powerful message in it. What a lot of people don't realise, however, is that it actually comes from the Scriptures themselves. Absolutely. And Gary, the last one here in Hosea chapter 13, verse 14, the I will comment from God, an active God, a God that doesn't sit back, but he's active with humanity. He says, uh, I will be your destruction. Death, I'll be your destruction. You're coming to an end, death. There is an end point to this. Yeah. I'll be your destruction. In other words, death was is not a natural part of this world. It wasn't created. Death wasn't created by God. Death is, in fact, an intruder that broke into this wonderful system that the Lord God originally created. And the Apostle Paul says it's the last enemy to be defeated. In Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6, we read this. Um, Jesus says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So even in the journey of sickness and death, Mm. uh, we have a hope a hope of uh, being resurrected from the grave, that Jesus, we are, we are safe even in death, which is asleep, as the Bible says. So, Gary, I think uh, the Gospel of John has some insights for us. John chapter 5, uh, we read this in verse 25, the words of Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. I like that. It was the voice of God that brought the universe into existence, and it's the mm. voice of God we read that the dead will hear. Yeah. Even if yeah. they're deaf, yeah. you know, but not only deaf, these people are dead for thousands of years, some of them, and they will hear the voice of the Son of God, and it says, and those who hear will live. Wow. Now, these are people that are in a relation, that had yeah. been in a relationship with God. Um, then he says further on in verse 28, he says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, this is hope, isn't it? And then those who have done evil, those who have chosen not to be in a relationship with Jesus, they'll awake to the resurrection of condemnation. Wow. So Jesus spoke of two resurrections, and we'll talk about some of this next week when we go on to the topic of hell, but he spoke about a resurrection of life. Yeah, yeah. In John chapter 14, some of those most famous passages of Scripture, uh, Jesus spoke about um, the fact that he was going to go away and he's going to come again, and then he was going to make mansions for us, a home for us in heaven. He'll come again and take us to be where he is, John 14, 1 to 3. Yeah. Now, Thousands of years have passed, but that promise is still true. The people he spoke that to, the disciples, uh, this is on the the night he was arrested, he gave Mm. them this promise. Mm. That hasn't been fulfilled yet. Yeah. It is still future. It's, you know, David, this is one of the, one of the beautiful things that I find about 
funerals because while funerals increasingly today funerals have been called a celebration of life in other words there's something that look back but you know for the Christian a funeral is also a time you can celebrate a life but a Christian can also look forward that person who is a believer in Jesus Christ that person who has accepted Christ as their saviour can confidently say This is not the end. You don't just live once. There's going to be a resurrection. The person is going to come. The grave cannot hold a person who has been, who has accepted Jesus Christ. And that's why Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, and I'm just turning to that as we speak, uh, Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, I think it's around verse 17 or 18, he says, um, uh, verse 18, I am he who lives. This is uh, Jesus. I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And this is what he says. I have the keys of death and the grave. Now, we have hope at a Christian funeral. Why? Because Jesus has the keys of that person's grave. He is the master locksmith. There is not a grave he cannot unlock if we're in a relationship with him. So at a funeral, that's why the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, we grieve, but we don't grieve as others who have no hope. Exactly. You know, I've had so many people come up to me after a funeral and they've, they've said, Pastor, thank you for what you shared. That is actually so powerful uh, that is actually life-changing. And the, and the family goes away not just with a feeling of oh, a wonderful celebration of life, but a wonderful hope for the future that this is not the end and it's not on my authority. This is on the authority of the Word of God. And this is where it gets really powerful, Gary, because, yeah, Jesus promised he'd come again, you know, John 14, but but... Look at the resurrection of Lazarus. He has proven that he can raise the dead. Yeah. And he, yeah, and, yeah. and he, he said to, to Martha there in John chapter 11, he said to her, um, uh, in verse 23 of John 11, he said, Jesus said to Martha, your brother Lazarus will rise again. And Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And then Jesus says, I am the resurrection and, and, the, and life. the life. Indeed. So through Jesus's own resurrection, through the resurrection of Lazarus, through the resurrection of Jairus's daughter, through the resurrection of the widow of Nain's son, he has proven that he'll come true on his promise. David, thank you. I love what you've actually shared there. But look, David, we're going to have to bring it all together. But look, one last question I'd just like to ask. You know, this is super practical. You know, how do you speak to your children about death? Yeah, really, really tough question, but a very important one. I remember taking our son Emerson, uh, we were on holiday, and early one morning at dawn while I was walking through a cemetery, and I took him with me, and I explained to him at three or four years of age that there are dead people in the ground. They're awaiting Jesus to come back. My father died in 2013, and and we took Emerson, not our younger daughter, but we took Emerson to the funeral. And um, before, the there was a burial first and then the, yeah. the celebration, and I walked up to the grave site, the hole had been dug and I got Emerson to look down into the hole and he was with me and um, I said that's where granddad's going to be but I said he won't be there forever he'll rise again. Mm. Just last week um, as a family we were talking about death and Mm. and we don't talk about this all the time but when people get sick and my daughter who's 12 and a half she said oh um, she asked you know did this person know Jesus and I said yes she said oh that's good daddy she said they'll rise at the resurrection. Indeed. Indeed. So we need to share with our children that we don't need to fear death because Jesus has defeated it. 
Yeah, indeed. And, and indeed. we don't need to worry about dying. All we need to do is to focus on being connected to Jesus And that's Christ. so true. You know, I, I remember with my own children, you know, when my children were, were very small, I used to have this silly little saying when um, uh, when they got up in the morning. It goes something like, uh, wakey, wakey, rise and shine. Come on, it's time to get out of bed. Um, um, I can't remember how it went now, but wakey, wakey, rise and shine. It's time to get out of bed. And, you know, I, I remember sharing with my kids about the resurrection and what they said to me. And, and, and they said, you know, what happens to the dead people? And I said, well, you know how when I come every morning, what do I say? And they quoted back to me, wakey, wakey. Rise and shine. Come on, you sleepy heads. It's time to get out of bed. And I'd always try to say it in my happiest, most joyful uh, voice. And uh, continually they would uh, come back to me with a pillow or a pillow or two. Um, but, you know, one of the things that uh, I said to them was that that's what Jesus is going to do when he comes back the second time. He's going to say, wakey, wakey, rise and shine. Get out of bed, you sleepy beds. You know, and, you know, to me, it really... It took the fear out of death, certainly for, for my kids. And in sharing with your children the, the promises in the Bible, you know, we read John 5 where Jesus said the dead will hear his voice. Yeah. Lazarus yeah. was dead fourth fourth day and he's heard the voice of Jesus come forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's powerful. It's powerful. Look, we have uh, run out of uh, time. Let's just bow our heads together in prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to say thank you for being our Lord and our God. Lord, thank you for being the almighty creator. Thank you for being the one who was resurrected from the dead. Lord, thank you for the one who being the one who has power over life and death uh, Lord we just give ourselves into your hand at this time thank you for promising to come again and raise those that we and you love intimately Lord these things we pray in Jesus name Amen well folks it does look like our time is up for today thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary and Pastor David Butcher on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor Fabiano and Helen Gray spend the entire time looking at the question, isn't, is heaven real? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.